Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Peter Spiegel. We have a great show for you today, and I hope you stick around for the whole hour. And you know, being a whistleblower ain't what it used to be. Whistleblowers, when they spot and recognize fraud or other illegal activities, used to have an aura of heroism about them. They expose injustice and bad behavior, sometimes at personal or financial risk to themselves. But if you are the object of a whistleblower's whistle, and you are, say, the VA hospital, you may not just roll over, admit wrongdoing, and pay up. No, you stonewall, you obfuscate, you intimidate, and you retaliate. Just ask Dr. Catherine Mitchell, look her up. So these days, even with possible monetary rewards available for those who blow the whistle, you gotta be careful. In the animal world, whistleblowers and investigative reporters are being treated differently in certain states. So if you're seeking to expose illegal and cruel activities in commercial animal processing facilities, factory farms, your actions, however well-intentioned, may land you in jail because of anti-whistleblower laws. The popular term for these laws are ag-gag laws, and boy, are they controversial. In fact, in Idaho, the ag-gag statute was just declared to be unconstitutional, and that's how we are going to begin our discussion. I want to welcome our legal expert, Bob Ferber. Welcome, Bob. Hi, Peter. Okay, Bob, so we're going to talk about ag-gag and anti-whistleblower laws, and I wanted to bring this up today because of the ruling in Idaho that happened earlier this summer and the uh, confirmation of it that just happened uh, this week. Give us a little overview on ag-gag laws. The way you put it was excellent. Uh, These ag-gag laws are basically anti-whistleblower laws that are trying to undo a trend that was in our country for many years of supporting whistleblowers in government and industry that would reveal violations of law. Uh, and they were, and in fact, as you were pointing out, there's laws, the federal government law, which is called the False Claims Act, rewards people actually for blowing the whistle on violations of law. It's interesting that up until recently, I think the whistleblower laws were pretty much supported around the country, but when whistleblowers started to blow the whistle about animal abuse, that was too much for the industry, for, for industries. And so what we started to see was a backlash by basically factory farming institutions, businesses, trying to keep people, whistleblowers, out of their factory farming to uh, which uncover abuse. Uh, as many people have wondered, you know, how come they just don't fix the problem? Even though there is... There are laws that actually regulate all these industries. I think what most people in this country don't realize is that they're not enforced. These regulations, federal regulations that regulate everything from how airplanes take off to how animals are treated, farm animals, to children in foster homes, it's unfortunate, but it's a national disgrace that federal and state governments rarely put enough resources to enforce the regulations and really make sure that these industries, including the ones that deal with farm animals, are actually following the law. So thank goodness for these whistleblowers, but now we've seen this trend of laws being proposed and supported in these states where factory farming is very big. These states are coming up with laws that undo the whistleblower laws. And what they do is they make it a crime to be a whistleblower which is unbelievable, but that's what they've done. And the reason why these laws have been proposed is because of these undercover videos that have been uh, taken and shown. Absolutely. The the shocking videos that have come out uh, showing horrible animal abuse at factory farming businesses around the country, which have generated outrage among the public to fix this, to stop this animal abuse, these businesses, instead of saying, okay, we won't do it anymore, they're going to their legislators in Idaho and other states and saying, let's pass laws to keep these troublesome whistleblowers out of our business 
yeah. so we, that we can continue business as usual without regulation. And what sort of uh, provisions are in the typical laws? What do they, what do, they do? Well, they typically, it, it, they, they vary slightly, but they pretty much say that uh, if you go undercover with a camera or you try to get employment uh, to, for the purpose of investigating business practices, then you are committing a crime. Some states have actually made it a felony and they've called it felony trespassing. Uh, these people go undercover by getting hired mm-hmm. to work in a factory farm, and then they work there for several months, and then they're able to see what's going on. The, this, uh, the ability to go undercover by way of employment is critical, because if you or I were walking by a factory farm somewhere in Idaho, and we knocked on the door, and they said, sure, come on in in 30 minutes, or you're coming over, no problem. I assure you that we probably would see fairly, not decent, but improved conditions, not the normal business as usual. It takes somebody who can go undercover and be in the business and figure out what's going on to be able to capture and reveal all the violations of laws, yeah. which in this case what we're talking about is severe animal abuse. Yeah. So if I'm a private business, can I uh, make sure that my employees sign a confidentiality agreement or some kind of document that would prevent them from doing that? Yes. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned that, Peter, actually, because many businesses uh, do that where they require confidentiality agreements. The question is, can they force employees, require employees to not report violations of the law? This is a little off the subject, Peter, but I'm an expert on animal abuse in the film industry and have been interviewed on abuse of animals in the film industry and discovered that on virtually all movie and TV sets, every employee is sworn to keep confidential. And when instances of animal abuse were alleged on TV shows or movie sets, the employee said, I can't talk to the police even though I think I saw animal abuse because I signed a confidentiality agreement. And the position of law enforcement is that doesn't keep you from reporting a crime. Gotcha. However, yep. these ad gag laws clearly state that you as an employee cannot, you have to sign a confidentiality agreement and you have to swear that you are a real employee, that you're not going undercover, and if you are, for the purpose of discovering abuse, then you're going to go to jail. Yeah. Okay, so back to Idaho. Why did the judge rule that this law was unconstitutional? Everybody needs to understand that this is in a federal court, and a federal judge is being asked to determine, is this law, the ag-gag law in Idaho, constitutional? That means the federal judge is looking at the U.S. Constitution. Well, this federal judge determined that the ag-gag law was unconstitutional because it violated three parts of the U.S. Constitution. One is the First Amendment, basically saying that people who observe these violations of law are exercising their free speech, and so you can't prohibit that. Secondly, the ag-gag law is unconstitutional because it violates the supremacy clause of the uh, U.S. Constitution, which basically says in layperson's terms that the U.S. Constitution is supreme and you can't do anything on the state level that violates what the, U- what the federal government is doing. And the federal government has a whistleblower law, right. which is called the False Claims Act. So by definition, if Idaho passes a law that is anti-whistleblower, it's against the federal law and it's unconstitutional. The third thing the judge said was under the Equal Protection Clause of the uh, Constitution, the government has to treat everybody equally. These laws, the judge determined, are focusing not on everybody, but clearly are out to get animal rights people only, not to affect other people. So they're going after a cause, if you will, which is the welfare of animals and animal activists. And so the judge said that's a violation of the 14th Amendment. So it's the First Amendment, the, the, the 14th Amendment, and that the law also is against the federal whistleblower law. That's really good, Peter, because it shows that the judge isn't saying it's only unconstitutional for one reason. He's saying it's for three different reasons. Yeah. Bob, laws like these have greater implications, implications beyond just animal welfare. Explain that. As I was saying earlier, that 
people assume that the federal and state governments uh, regulate industries, and they're supposed to regulate not just the way animals are treated in factory farms, but how elder, older people, senior citizens are treated in nursing homes, how children are treated in foster care, uh, how doctors and dentists treat their female patients without sexual abuse. The reality is that most of these industries are not regulated any better than the uh, factory farm industries. And so these anti these ag gag laws are based on the same principles that would prevent somebody from revealing elder abuse in a nursing home or ch foster children being severely abused or neglected in a foster care. Um, a patient, a doctor that's routinely uh, abusing female patients. Many of these situations are revealed not by federal or state regulation, but by undercover videos by nonprofit organizations that are trying to protect abused children, uh, patients of, of doctors and uh, dentists. Yeah. So if a court decides that these ag-gag laws are okay, it opens the door for other industries, like the people who run nursing homes, the people who own foster care uh, institutions. They can t go and say to their legislature, I want a law that keeps people from taking videos of what goes on in my nursing home. I don't want people to go undercover and take pictures of what's going on when, I, when I'm caring for foster children and maybe abusing them or neglecting them. So we don't just have animal victims from these laws. We have potentially children, the elderly, uh, women, every group of people that, are, that is potentially being abused. These laws would prevent us from learning about that right. and protecting these people. That's frightening. Okay, Bob Ferber, thank you very much for explaining all that to us. You're very welcome. So you and your family have decided to get a dog or cat. We think that's great. And we want to remind you to adopt your next companion animal instead of buying. That's because shelters have so many loving dogs and cats waiting for a home that it just doesn't make sense to buy a pet from a breeder or pet store. And sadly, over half of all animals that enter shelters are killed. That's millions per year. So when you adopt your pet from a shelter, most likely, you really are saving a life. When you go to a shelter to adopt your new dog or cat, you will find many wonderful choices for your new family member. And please tell your friends and family to visit the shelter when they are ready to get a new dog or cat. Ask anyone. When you adopt an animal, you'll have a loyal friend for life. And you'll feel pretty good, too. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org and on Facebook. That's AIAnimals.org. Hey folks, it's Dana here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. Do you owe the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. 
Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. Hi, this is Dr. Lori, and I want to invite you to a very special seminar. The nonprofit Animal Welfare Organization Advancing the Interests of Animals is putting on on Friday, December 11th. Now, if you love animals and want to know what you can do to help them even more without getting overwhelmed or stressed out, then you really need to join us. It's called Helping Animals Without Going Crazy, Strategies for Effective Joyful Advocacy. If you are involved with animal rescue or adoption, or if you work in any job having to do with animals, like working or volunteering in a shelter or in a veterinary office, or even as an animal control officer, you probably have experienced periods of stress, sadness, and feeling overwhelmed. This is called compassion fatigue. It's really common, and it can really take a toll on any of us who give a lot of ourselves. And even if you don't work in the field, you might have experienced intense feelings of sadness, loss, and even guilt surrounding the loss of your own dog or cat. This grieving process can be very painful. If you want to learn to manage compassion fatigue or to cope with the loss of your own animal, you're really going to want to attend the seminar. Now, we're going to have three nationally renowned experts who are going to give presentations and participate in what I'm sure will be a lively question and answer session. Our special presenters will be Patricia Smith, who will be telling us about compassion fatigue related to caring for animals. Dr. Linda Harper will teach us how to get more joy out of our work with animals. And Dr. Sandra Grossman will provide valuable tips about coping with the loss of our own companion animals. It's really going to be a fabulous, inspiring, and information-packed morning, and anyone who cares about animals is welcome to attend. So I want you to go to the website of Advancing the Interests of Animals. And that website is aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org to learn more about the seminar and to reserve your seat. That's Friday, December 11th. It starts at 8 a.m. And the location is the Renaissance Hotel in Palm Springs, California. I look forward to seeing you there. Today, I want to welcome back veterinary neurologist, Dr. Stephen Hansen. Today's topic is seizures in our companion animals. Dr. Hansen, how common are seizures in dogs and cats? I don't have any uh, statistic on that, but it's certainly something that we see a lot of. And I, I think that most general veterinarians probably see a seizure case once a week. So um, it's not a very common condition, but it's certainly not uncommon. And what causes seizures? Seizures can be caused by anything that affects the brain, which can be um, some sort of chemical imbalance in the body, like say due to liver disease, it can be from a toxin. Uh, Seizures can occur from an infection in the brain or a tumor or a stroke. So a wide variety of things can cause seizures. It's one of the most common neurological symptoms. But the condition that we see most often is what's called idiopathic epilepsy, which is a genetic condition where a dog has recurring seizures um, because of an electrical malfunction in their brain. In human medicine, we often would do an electroencephalograph or EEG to decide if epilepsy is a likely cause of the seizure. Do you do EEGs on animals? EEGs are done, but there are a couple of challenges that we have with dogs that um, are a little bit unique. First of all, dogs have heads that are much, much thicker than a person's head. So they sometimes have a couple of inches of muscle and then a very thick skull. So an EEG really just gives us a reflection of what's happening on the very surface of the brain. The other limitation is that oftentimes we can only tell if a seizure is going on if we're doing the EEG during the seizure. So sometimes with people, they'll 
put on the array of electrodes on the scalp, and then the person will sit in a room for a while until they actually have a seizure, which could take a day. So with dogs, we can't do that because they wouldn't tolerate all the electrodes. There are some studies now being done with um, setups like that, that that can be worn for some period of time, but that's still very much in its infancy. How do individuals recognize if their dog or cat is having a seizure? Most of the time, it's uh, pretty clear because generally what they'll do is fall to their side and and convulse. They don't respond if their name is called. Uh, Sometimes they clench their jaw and hypersalivate. Uh, There are other, and that's something called a generalized seizure. There are other seizures that are less obvious. Um, In people, sometimes kids especially will have something called absence seizures where they stare off briefly. We don't know if dogs get that or not. I think that would be very difficult to to determine. But seizures can manifest as just a twitching of the face or twitching on one side of the body. But usually it's pretty clear that something um, something's awry. And this is an emergency, correct? If a seizure happens for the first time, it should definitely be um, dealt with as an emergency because it's hard to know what's going to happen next. It could progress into um, a very prolonged seizure state called status epilepticus, which can actually damage the brain. With a dog with an established seizure history, say they have idiopathic epilepsy and they have a 30-second seizure every few months, that's something that can just be ridden out at home. So the owner can kind of, um, you know, help the dog to avoid self-trauma during the seizure and just let it uh, subside. And but generally, if yeah. it's a first-time seizure, a dog should be taken to a veterinarian immediately. And how are they treated? Seizures treated with anticonvulsant medication. So there are a variety of different drugs that we use. Uh, some are just used in the short term to actually stop a seizure, and then some are used for maintenance therapy. Generally, once a dog has idiopathic epilepsy, they'll have seizures their whole life. So usually long-term medication is required. And that that creates the challenge of trying to avoid drug side effects with long-term use. So we're always trying to uh, derive safer medications and, and regimens for giving these medications long-term. Are special diets or lifestyle modifications helpful? In some cases, if seizures are occurring due to some sort of internal organ disorder, then uh, certain diets are helpful. With epilepsy, there's no real established diet that makes a difference. There's certainly a lot of anecdotes, and you know some people feel that certain diets um, are likely to help control seizures, but generally speaking, no. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that if a dog has a seizure disorder and they get sick for some other reason, it can make them more likely to have a seizure. So if a dog has epilepsy and, say, inflammatory bowel disease, they may need a special diet for their inflammatory bowel disease, which would also indirectly help control their seizure. Right, right. Now, do other animals get seizures, like rabbits or turtles, snakes, horses? Yeah, actually, um, just about any animal can have seizures. I, I once treated a sea lion that had seizures. Oh. So um, any anything with a brain can have a seizure. Like a rescued sea lion? Yeah, it was uh, picked up uh, in South Orange County, I think, by a, a rescue organization and started having seizures. Veterinary neurologist Dr. Stephen Hansen, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? 
Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to Animal Services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Dana Lash here. Our freedom and independence is not free. Veterans and their families pay the price for your freedom and for mine. Veterans' families are many times unprepared to deal with what our warriors bring home. The pain, the nightmares, feelings of detachment, irritability, trouble concentrating, and sleeplessness. These are some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. The Purple Heart Foundation would like to offer all of you out there, all of my listeners, the book Tears of a Warrior, a family story of combat by Janet and Anthony Seahorn as a free gift. Tears of a Warrior was written to educate families families and veterans about the symptoms of PTS and to offer strategies for living with the disorder. The book is free to anyone who would like a copy. All you pay is shipping. Go to purpleheartfoundation.org. That's purpleheartfoundation.org or call 800-935-9941. That's 800-935-9941. Order the free book or give a donation in honor of a veteran you know. You can donate a car or cash. All donations go directly to help veterans nationwide. 800-935-9941 or purpleheartfoundation.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. As we all marvel at the amazing pictures that a tiny spacecraft has sent to us from the farthest reaches of our solar system, it's a good time to think about all the ways we've benefited from space exploration, and might still in the future. Modern conveniences like cell phone cameras, scratch-resistant lenses for sunglasses, and water purification systems were all originally developed by NASA. Because of all the brilliant minds working there, it often seems like the only limit on what we can create is our own imagination. Unfortunately, one of the barriers to innovation is entirely man-made and unique to America, legal fear. Currently, a device invented by a former NASA engineer that could save lives by making it impossible to text, talk, or email on a cell phone while driving is being kept off the market, in large part because of fears about lawsuits. Let's be fair, there are actually many products that haven't made it to market because of concerns about the excessive litigation in America, and you would be amazed at what they can do. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. 800-930-1669. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Peter. Hey, Lori. So I went into our garage. I need to get something out of the garage. And I heard a little sound like a... 
<laughs> well, like that sound. Okay. And I'm thinking, what the heck is that? I was thinking, maybe it's like a lizard. Because we get lizards. We get lizards. Or it was a windy night. Maybe it was just the wind blowing something. Then I heard it again. You know, we also get these big moths. So when I've heard stuff like that, I go looking right. for moths. And right. So I, I didn't think anything of it. And then it happened again. And I looked down and there's this huge scorpion. Where was Peter, I? You didn't hear my scream? Oh, that was that. <laughs> yeah. How big was it? Four or five inches? Four inches, I would say. Yeah. This was quite big. And he was wide. Wide and yeah. meaty. And, and the and... claws could just take out a toe. <laughs> How did I get involved in this one? Okay. Well, you heard my scream. You said, what the heck's going on here? Yeah. I, I put a, a little piece of cardboard around him just sort of to trap him within the wall. And I was able to coax him onto my trusty lacrosse stick again. Oh, that's uh, your trusty it's lacrosse? It's worked for tarantulas. It's worked for snakes. Yeah. And uh, able Humanely, to... Humanely, by the way. Well, I didn't crush him or anything right? like that. Humanely I mean, moved I don't, him. I don't, I don't, not warm and fuzzy about scorpions, but you know. But we love all animals. And uh, got him in our little container and relocated him to my favorite neighbor. No, just joking. <laughs> to a nice, nice rocky spot in the open desert. And I watched him. He was happy to get out of that styrofoam container. But even while he, I was moving him, I was afraid that he was going to do something impossible, you know, like eat through this big, thick container. I heard him with the sound, do the, do the sound again. I heard that. <laughs> and you're holding him and it's just like, okay, I don't like this so much. Well, you couldn't be that scared. You took the time to take a picture and post it on Facebook. Well, you, okay. picture of me and the scorpion in the same frame, right? <laughs> well, well, that's right. A selfie. So we thought, yes, we need to learn more about scorpions and let's have an expert talk about scorpions. So now I want to welcome back to the show conservationist Matt Ellerbeck. Hi, Matt. Hi, how are you today? I'm great. Matt, what are scorpions? Are they insects? No, although a lot of people think they're insects because of their sort of general appearance and their size, they're actually arachnids. So they'd be more closely related to spiders and ticks than they would be to other insects. And a really easy way to sort of tell an arachnid apart from an insect are insects generally have um, a pair of antennas um, and they have three main body segments and six legs why arachnids have no antennas they have eight legs and they have two main body segments mm. so although a lot of people would kind of just you know look at all of those animals as, as bugs there actually are quite a few differences between arachnids and insects, and scorpions are arachnids. Matt, where are scorpions found? So to most people, when they think of scorpions, they think that they live in the desert, and that is true. Um, there are a lot of scorpion species found in desert areas, both in the United States and in other countries around the world. But a lot of scorpions live in other areas as well, including tropical and temperate forests. And when you consider the number of scorpion species that are found worldwide, there's nearly 2,000. So that's a, a massive amount of different species. It really does make people think that, of course, they would live in many different types of habitats with that many different species. Now, scorpions are, of course, absent from the polar um, regions because they are ectothermic, which is essentially the proper term for cold-blooded, which just means their body temperature is generally the same as that as their surroundings. Mm -hmm. So they have to live in places that have a temperature that where they can maintain uh, normal body functions. Are scorpions poisonous or venomous? They're venomous, and there is a difference between poisonous and venomous. Although a lot of people do say, you know, poisonous snake or poisonous scorpion. Um, so a poison is a toxin that is ingested. Um, so if you bit a poisonous animal or you ate, you know, say mushrooms in the forest, they could be poisoned. That's a toxin that's ingested while a venom is injected via a bite, say, so maybe like a rattlesnake or a sting like a scorpion. So scorpions sting. Uh, they don't have fangs. They aren't able to bite or inject toxins into their prey, but at the end of their tails, they have a bulb-like um, apparatus with a stinger attached to it, which is very sharp, and it's almost like a needle. So it's, uh, it's hypodermic. So when it, it stabs into its prey, 
the venom can flow through um, through that apparatus. Now, with that being said, a lot of people, when they hear venomous animals, they immediately then wonder, are they dangerous? Some scorpions have venom that is toxic enough to be of a threat to human beings. But with that said, they're quite shy animals. They spend a lot of their time hiding under rocks or debris. They usually come out at night. And certainly an animal as small as a scorpion is not going to intentionally look for people to sting or to attack most things happen when people accidentally step on them, sometimes um, when they crawl into shoes or other clothing. So if you live in an area where you know there are scorpions, it's just important not to leave items of clothing like hats or shirts or, or shoes directly on the floor and then to shake things out before you put them on. It's just like, it's just using common sense of being around any animal. I mean, lots of forms of wildlife can potentially be dangerous, but they're not necessarily aggressive or, or looking for people to hurt. It's just a matter of really using common sense and, and respecting those animals. So what should I do if I get stung by a scorpion? If you get stung by a scorpion, um, the best thing to do is first off remain calm. And that's for any venomous animal because if you get yourself panicked, your heart rate will increase. And then what you're going to do is you're actually going to start um, kind of pushing the venom, spreading the venom throughout your body via your upped heart rate. So it's really important to stay calm. Um, next thing to do is to seek medical attention. Um, a lot of scorpion stings do not require antivenom. Um, there is an antivenom developed called Anascorp, which is available in some places, but most adults, um, you know, generally healthy adults, a scorpion sting is not going to be life-threatening. It's, it can be very, very painful, and then and, and that can kind of, you know, stress the person out and, again, get them to panic. So it's important to reassure people that, you know, it's probably not life-threatening and seek medical attention. Now, the elderly, very young children, or those with suppressed immune systems, it can be more serious for them. Um, so, again, it's important to keep them calm get them to medical attention so they can be assessed there. One thing it's important to note is, I mentioned earlier, there's about 2,000 scorpion species around. Only about 25 of all of those species are equipped with a venom that's going to be strong enough um, to cause any serious harm to people. So the vast majority of scorpions, although their stings might be painful, like a bee sting, they're not going to be dangerous. Well, now I'm going to look in every single one of my shoes before I stick my foot in there and under my sheets before I go to bed at night. Thanks a lot, Matt. Matt, how about my cats or my dogs? Can the scorpion hurt or kill them? I have heard of dogs um, and, and pets being stung. Um, again, um, if you see your pet, and, and most people who have dogs and cats or other animals know their pet's body language very, very well. Um, so if you do see that something, they're behaving strangely, again, it's important to get them to a vet. To my knowledge, though, um, and I have never heard of a dog um, succumbing to a scorpion sting. I, I could be wrong, but I've never heard of that firsthand. So again, it's just important to be diligent and kind of follow the same rules that we'd apply to ourselves if we were stung to our, our, our pets as well. You always point out to us that every living creature has a role on this earth. What do scorpions do? Well, scorpions both act as both predators to smaller forms of invertebrates. So they eat a lot of other quote-unquote bugs. Um, so in that sense, they are sort of um, our natural bug catchers for the environment. Um, the other thing they do is they are prey items for larger animals such as birds and mammals. Um, some snakes will even eat scorpions um, and other reptiles and amphibians. So that's what a lot of people refer to as an equilibrium species where they are do prey on a number of different invertebrates and other arachnids and insects within their environment, but they're also prey items for other animals as well. And scorpion venoms are being studied to help humans because venoms are designed as a way to quickly immobilize prey. And they have all these different um, enzymes and things within those venoms that work on different properties. And they're actually looking 
at some of those properties and, and trying to apply them for research to help cure cancer and Parkinson's disease, blood clots. Um, so a lot of different serious health issues that affect people, we're starting to look at the way venoms work and get ideas on how to combat um, certain medical treatments. So an animal such as a scorpion that a lot of people might say, oh, you know, they're, they're frightening, they're nightmarish, I don't like them. Um, because of scorpions, we might actually be able to treat really serious medical issues that one day could affect yourself or possibly someone you love. So it's really important to understand that, you know, all these animals play important roles in the natural world, and sometimes they give us ideas and, and ways to think about things that can benefit us as well. Matt Ellerbeck, thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas, to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals, to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's aianimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Hey folks, it's Dana here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. I'm Bob DiRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. For millions of baseball fans who attend big league games each year, the possibility of catching a foul ball is one of the attractions of the game. According to one study, as many as 53,000 foul balls are caught by happy fans each year. However, if lawyers who just filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball have their way, a lot fewer fans will be leaving games with a souvenir ball. Under the lawsuit, all ballparks, including the historic Wrigley Field in Chicago and Fenway Park in Boston, would be required to extend protective netting from behind home plate all the way to the foul poles in left and right field. The lawyers argue that warnings about foul balls printed on tickets, posted around the ballparks, and mentioned over the PA system are not enough. Let's be fair, serious injuries do happen, and baseballs have been flying into the stands for decades, even before Babe Ruth was playing. But do we really want a policy like this that affects millions of baseball fans to be decided by one lawsuit? Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Not available in California, Louisiana, and Virginia.
Listeners, do you have startup capital and want to invest in a booming business with incredible profit and growth potential? The opportunity is now because Fresh Healthy Vending, the number one healthy vending franchise in North America, is looking for a few business-savvy, healthy-minded people right here in the local area to become Fresh Healthy Vending franchise owners. We're growing so fast that we've had hundreds of new franchise owners in the last few years alone. Now you can join them. This area has a huge demand for Fresh Healthy organic snacks on the go, and that's exactly what you'll be selling with your Fresh Healthy Vending machine. We've already identified prime high-traffic locations that are perfect for healthy vending machines. Now we just need the right people to join our franchise network and help Fresh Healthy Vending continue to boom. If this sounds like you, go to readyforfresh.com today and enter code 1414. We'll send you a free owner information kit. As an added bonus to new franchise owners, we'll also pay half the franchise fees. Hurry, this offer is limited. Just go to readyforfresh.com and enter code 1414. That's readyforfresh.com, code 1414. you ever get to the Los Angeles area, try to visit Catalina Island. It's about an hour by ferry from the coast. And uh, we've been there many times and it's really a delightful place. And a few years ago, Lori and I took a conservation tour of the island. And did you know there's a herd of bison on Catalina Island? We got to see bison really up close. And well, our guide really never mentioned that there were bats on the island, too. We were so focused on the big, beautiful bison. But there are, of course, bats on Catalina Island, and most of it is uninhabited. And the bats have gotten some real new attention recently, and we wanted to speak with uh, an expert on Catalina bats. And so I'm pleased to welcome Calvin Duncan, wildlife biologist with Catalina Island Conservancy, who is indeed studying these bats. Hi, Calvin. Hi, how are you doing? Great. So why bats and why bats on Catalina now? Really, it's something that we haven't had a chance to look at thoroughly. The last surveys were done back in 2000, 2001 um, by a Brownberry biological consultants. In that same kind of time period, we've been focusing on some of our other conservation projects that are needing our attention, such as the recovery of the, the endangered Catalina Island fox and the management of our bison herd, as you had mentioned, uh, which we've done uh, fertility control in that program and very successful programs. And in some cases, uh, the bats, I guess, in a little bit have been neglected. And we're we're now, uh, with the success of those programs and some of those things completed, uh, we're able to kind of refocus our attentions. And uh, really, bats are one of the things that that have been overlooked, and and we're really wanting to get a better handle on on what we have here on the island. And so that requires sort of surveying and trying to figure out what you have, you don't necessarily know if there's a bat problem. You've got to find out what's going on. Uh, correct. Um, so inventory is one of the you know critical things when you're doing conservation, finding out what you have and how that might compare to what might have been done previously or what you can project for the future. Um, so we have approximately eight species of bats on Catalina Island, which makes up a pretty substantial amount of our terrestrial mammal biodiversity. And, but there's definitely suspect that we, we would have more species if we were to look a little harder. Yeah. Um, we've also made some major improvements to the island, uh, the habitat, uh, native vegetation that could support potentially either more or a more diverse uh, grouping of bats uh, than had been documented previously. And so all of that's kind of exciting to, to tap into and, and really get a better idea. That's great. What sorts of bats are there? Uh, we have, for the most part, fairly common species uh, that occur on the mainland, uh, pallet bat, long-eared myotis, California myotis. Um, Yuma myotis and California myotis are kind of a more common and, and probably the larger volume of bats on the island. Uh, we also have um, species that are uh, special concern, in California, such as the Townsend's big-eared bat, yeah. um, they are actually currently a candidate for listing uh, as threatened or endangered in the state. And that's also one of the things that's kind of driving our uh, efforts to survey the island. Uh, it's to help support surveys that are happening throughout the state and provide our information into that kind of whole analysis for that species. And it's also driving a lot of our protective efforts. Um, we are looking at installing bat gates or, and we have begun that process already. Um, bat and, gates. 
Bat Gates. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a misleading. Um, it's Townsend's bigger bats and some other species, but for the most part, uh, looking at this one, uh, they're very sensitive to disturbance. And on Catalina, we have lots of kind of natural occurring caves on the island. And there's also, um, we have a pretty uh, large history of mining on the island. So we have quite a few abandoned mines that the bats have, have taken refuge in and used in the roosting sites. So to keep the disturbances down, um, the disturbances are generally caused by people exploring the mines uh, or caves. Yeah. And that can be a risk for people that are, that are going into areas that, that really aren't stable or, or at a risk of collapse. Uh, so the, the gates kind of provide two different mechanisms. One is to, to keep people out of these areas that could be hazardous, but they're essentially just very uh, reinforced steel bars that, that are just within the entrance of, of a mine or cave. They do allow the free flow of bats to come in and out, um, uh, but they do restrict access to people. Yeah. Calvin, I almost am embarrassed to ask you, but are we worried about rabies in the Catalina bat populations? Uh, rabies has, has never been documented on Catalina. Um, it hasn't been extensively searched for, but um, if we did have rabies in bats on Catalina, it would likely be showing up in some of our other species as well, which it just never has. Um, I think the kind of fear and, and stuff that goes with bats and disease is, is definitely blown out of proportion. Yeah. The Conservancy has done great work over the decades, as, as you mentioned. Uh, how can people find out more about the Conservancy and learn more about this project and other projects you guys are doing? Uh, we have several different mechanisms that we try to get our information out. We have quite a few kind of more informal publications, our Conservancy Times. Uh, we have a website that you can visit. Um, we also, actually just this week, uh, Friday, uh, we're providing a symposium, which is basically uh, researchers and, and staff from the Conservancy or researchers that have done work on the island are presenting their results of their work and their uh, research. Uh, we do that every year. Mm -hmm. um, so that's actually happening this Friday and, okay. and uh, something we, again, is an annual event. Um, Lots of different ways to get involved, either volunteering, just visiting the island and taking a tour. And we're generally available to be, you know, to contact uh, through our website. And uh, the website for the Conservancy is www.catalinaconservancy.org. Calvin Duncan, thank you so much. Thank you. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas, to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals, to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org.